What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me this morning on this edition of Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on the show, we have a special guest. He's Reverend Horace Sheffield, who has a special message for African-Americans, especially those of us in Detroit, Michigan, and African-Americans elsewhere. For some reason, we seem to like congregating at parties in the midst of a pandemic that is threatening all our lives. So I decided, I thought it would be a good idea to have Reverend Horace on, and Reverend Chef, as we call him locally, uh, is a civil rights activist. He's a warrior and a champion of Detroit and in the Detroit community. He's loved and he's appreciated for all his efforts over the years. He, in fact, has a legacy. His father was one of the initiators of the UAW. Would you believe that? Along with Walter uh, Reiters, the guy whom we named I-75 after in this area, as well as they worked together, and he and other civil rights activists of the time worked together to craft what is now considered a lot of the freedoms that we enjoy. So Reverend Sheffield has this legacy and has extended it to his daughter. His daughter, Mary, is also a city councilwoman here in the city of Detroit. We believe Mary has a great future in front of her. And of course, with a legacy like that, who wouldn't, right? So Reverend Sheffield is going to join me in just a few minutes, and he's going to expound on why it's important for African-Americans to stay home during this pandemic. And there's a lot going on in Michigan, because as you know, our governor has uh, placed more restrictions on the stay-at-home order. And for those of us here in Southeast Michigan who have seen what coronavirus, otherwise called COVID-19, has done to the African-American community, almost every day someone we know is dropping dead. I mean, people are literally just dropping like flies. It is, it is a harsh reality for us. It's painful. It's hurtful. And we feel that what the governor has done, I feel that what the governor has done is in fact the best way forward for all of us. So of course you can exercise your civil rights if you want to, if you feel like demonstrating is going to do it, but we should have done that safely yesterday. So within a few days, 10 to 14 days, 21 days out from now, we're going to see the curve instead of it flattening as we wanted to in Michigan. I know Reverend Sheffield is probably going nuts right now. In fact, we're going to see the curve and the infection spread to the outlying areas in western Michigan and in northern Michigan. We all need to just stay home. So Reverend Sheffield is a, is a good friend of ours. In fact, I have to say this. I like to tell about what people have done. When I first started in Michigan in 2011, when my third book was published, Reverend Sheffield opened his platform and extended the courtesy of me appearing before his audience on radio and at his church to tell folks why I felt that violence against women was wrong. So I, I do have to say that. That just tells you what kind of person he is and who he is and what he means to this community. So without further ado, here is Reverend Horace Sheffield. Hey, Rev. Hey, Reverend. With my door. 
Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you? I said, I, I said I'm good. I may have to adjust the width of my doors to be able to get out. My head is swollen, so with all the wonderful oh. things you've said about me. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you deserve all of it, and you know it. We're very happy that you I are here with us. Yes, thank you, Rev. Listen, um, I know this is a passion of yours. You have been a champion of civil rights for all of us in this area for a long, long time. But you, because of what you do, you operate the Detroit Association of Black uh, Businesses, DABO, and your work for civil rights, I mean, some of the stuff you've done, if I read it, it would sound like a litany. Uh, but I don't want to do that because <laughs> he has done so much. I mean, one of the things that he has done is champion for water shutoffs. I mean, he was angry when this first happened. He led a demonstration. He appeared before the city council. He went to the mayor. He's been an advocate for the people and talked extensively about how important it was for people to have running water in their homes. Here we are in the midst of a pandemic, and people said, have they turned off all the water, uh, Reverend Shep, do you know? They've, ha- they've not gotten it all back on, but at least uh, there was a recognition that people needed water, particularly given the requirements for sanitation uh, with this uh-huh. pandemic. You know, I want to just make one quick note. I'm here now uh, you know, recovering from the virus with my staff. We We'll be doing 10,000 meals every day. Uh, we initially had the help of the Michigan National Guard, but uh, the mayor decided that wouldn't be a good look. So in um, my corner, so we are here now uh, trying to mitigate the madness that this, uh, this uh, virus has caused. Uh, and I want to say one other thing from the top, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. I, I've lost loved ones. I've got people in my church I'm doing a funeral today at 1 o'clock for a lady mm in my church who died from this. But when, when I think about the national and uh, policy, which is really restricted testing kits, the reason we have so few people tested in Detroit is because of that. The reason you had to go to the state fair and have a primary care physician, be in your car and all that, and so it spread among our people is because of national policy. So when you listen to Trump say he's going to open up parts of the country, he's almost saying, look, there's only black folks now who are really affected with this. And so those areas where white folks live and it's not a real problem, we'll let them get back to normal. And the rest of y'all can just figure out what you're going to do on your own. It's, 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 it's just tragic. Anyway, had to get that Jesus. out. Yeah. I, I feel that with some, with some degree of levity and passion as well, that the messaging, not just from national leadership, but from the wider community and majority of Americans, is that they don't care about what happens to African Americans. They don't care. Uh, reopen our part of the country so we can do what we get back to business, and you all just figure it out. And it's an election year, so you would have thought at least a show of empathy would have worked, but the scant disregard for which people of color are being treated in this pandemic, mm-hmm. is it something noteworthy? It is. It's seriously. It's, it's it the is. same thing in New York, yeah. and it's the same thing in and and here in Detroit. It's very pronounced. Right. It is, and and you know, I, I've been very vocal. I mean, for whatever reason, the Lord allowed my voice to be heard. And I mean, when you think about requiring a primary care physician to be tested when anyone who's worked in the area of, of health health mm-hmm. disparities know that African Americans don't have primary care physicians, not just 
poor African Americans, but folks with insurance, people who work every day. Uh, right. So I had to advocate about that and then found out basically the restrictions were coming from the state, and that was because we still don't have the testing supplies. So we have people, Harriet, walking around this town who don't even know. We now know, by the way, 40% of, of the people who have it may not even have symptoms. Uh, we were told, one of the protocols was you had to have a fever. I never had a fever. So what am wow. I saying? I'm saying that that, you know, our community is being besieged because of public policy and because of the lack of of testing access that, you know, may cause our numbers to continue to spike while others begin to fall. You know, Rev, I am not kidding you. I feel like I'm going to cry, and I don't get emotional when I'm in these settings. But when I think of on my Facebook page, just like yours, every day it's RIP, RIP to somebody who was somebody's whole world, somebody's parent, auntie, grandma. One woman lost her mother and two sisters in one in three weeks. Another woman lost her husband and her son. And the RIPs just keep strolling and just rolling and rolling. And after a while, as much as you put some distance between that, it does affect you because these are our people. And I feel like I feel like President Trump has forgotten about us. Detroit did vote for him. If Detroiters had not gone out and voted in 2016, he would never have gotten Michigan, which helped him to get the White House. And I feel like President Trump owes us a duty of care, not just as the president, but also because Detroiters voted for him. That he need, he owes us a duty of care. He hasn't even been over here. He hasn't come to see the people. I think he needs to reach out to this community. It is so. It is disheartening what has happened to us. And I'm going to be honest with you. Reverend Sheffield confessed that he tested and has been ill. I hope you're not out there without a mask and gloves. I don't no, think I'm, you I'm, I'm in the sanctity of my office uh, okay. with my daughter and a couple of people. We're socially distant. And right. I am uh, coordinating the delivery of 10,000 meals. Uh, 10,000 meals. People, yeah. Daily frozen food that people can take home. Hold on a second. Get a number. I'm sorry. Right uh, and and uh, um, yeah. And we're delivering it to people's homes. I mean, you know, uh, the work goes on. You know, we, you know, one of the things I believe I've been redeemed, and one of the reasons I believe that God continues to uh, bless me to overcome stuff, is because He has a purpose for me. He has work for me to do. I agree with that, and that work can continue. That work, it can't stop. But I still want you, we need your voice through this because it looks like we're going to be in this curve for a while here. I don't think that we're going to emerge from all that I have read about it, what the science scientists are coming to the conclusion that this is likely to go on until spring of 2021. Some estimates are that it will continue until 2022. So I believe we're going to be in this curve for a while. Uh, but Rev, uh, do you think that how is this going to shape up for the 2020 elections? I mean, you think people will be likely to go out and vote for a candidate of their choice? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, if if, if this is like having been in hell and been released. And then you have, your option is will you accept Jesus Christ or continue to sin? I think, you know, people would accept the Lord and stop sinning, you know. Uh, 
So I, I don't know. You just don't know. I mean, this president putting his signature on these checks, I mean, uh, you know, all the stuff that he's done, um, you know, just is just uh, uh, deplorable, you know. So, mm. uh, yeah, but, I mean, I, I, I'll be willing to bet you. I, I've never bet like this, uh, um, but I believe I believe that people are going to rise up and do some things. I believe there's some folks who probably have never voted. Um, there's some people who probably have um, uh, so been distant and detached and out there just not really engaged at all. There's no way you can sit here every day and see this stuff and hear this stuff. This president now wants to blame China. Well, maybe China did do some stuff in the laboratory. Who knows? But the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is they knew back in November and December about mm-hmm. this virus, and even when it became full-blown, this fool mm-hmm. is on TV talking about he's going to have it down to zero. It'll be down to zero. I mean, we've, we've lost thousands of people. Uh, go see what they want. Thousands of people to this to this miserable malady. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a shame. Bring them it in. It is. Yeah. I'm I'm multitasking while I'm talking to you. I'm telling That's myself. fine. That's fine. We know you're busy, yeah. so we're not going to keep it too long. But I wanted to emphasize the message that you've been saying. You did a couple of Facebook lives in which you asked young Detroiters to stay home. And part of it, too, is because, as you know, we're, we just started mass testing in Detroit. I do feel they should have another testing site. Uh, and that's because yeah. there were never enough tests available. So what yeah. message do you want to give to young Detroiters? Because a lot of them think, well, this is not a disease for us. It's a disease for older people. Yeah. And so yeah. what message do you want to give to them? Well, well that, that's been proven to be false because initially, they, you know, you know no black folks have this and all this. Well, now we are the, the, the larger percentage of it. Stay home, stay safe. I mean, quarantine. Uh, this is a very viral virus. This is a virus that, you know, has killed people. And, it, you know, there's no way for you to know whether you get it and live and you get it or die. So why risk that? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple more weeks, you know, we'll be past this and you can get out and play basketball. You can shoot the breeze on the porch, do whatever. But but be here. And the only way to be here is not to get this, and that's to stay home and stay safe. All right? I got to roll. Thank you. God thank you, you, Rev. I know. God bless you. And thanks for what you do. Folks, you heard that. Reverend Sheffield is busy. He's a busy man. He's distributing and doing what the government isn't doing, what the city is not doing right now, which is to distribute 10,000 meals. I want you to hear that 10,000 frozen meals to the city of Detroit. Uh, He's giving out 10,000 frozen meals to the city of Detroit. And the National Guard was helping, and then the, the mayor thought that it was not a good look. I don't know why the mayor thought that. I really don't know. I dare not speculate why, right? But just to to think that here we are in Detroit in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of shutdowns and lockdowns, which means that food supply for a lot of people is threatened. Let me outline for you what that means, just so that you know. Detroit is traditionally considered a food desert because the access to fresh fruits and foods that keep our bodies healthy is not readily available. It's not readily available because of high crime. It's not readily available because of distribution. But there are inherent problems in the distribution of fresh food and access to it. People lack transportation because Detroit has a poverty rate amongst African-Americans of 37.8%, amongst Hispanics of 36%, 
and amongst poor whites of 35%. So the poverty rate in Detroit is at 36%, which is a little too high. Detroit is considered the poorest big city in America. You got to put that in perspective. This is the city where motor vehicles started in Detroit. How a hundred years later that uh, the poverty rate is so high and it's considered the poorest big city in the nation. Something is wrong with that. So when you have that kind of historical background now, it it helps us to understand why Reverend Sheffield, who just recovered from the coronavirus, is out in his office practicing social distancing, right? Practicing social distancing with his beloved daughter, Mary, who is on the front lines. I hope, Mary, I know you're listening. I hope you take care. Practicing social distancing with his staff to coordinate the delivery of 10,000 frozen meals to Detroiters. There is something very wrong with that picture because now that there's been shutdown and lockdowns, the food supply chain is threatened. So if people had issues prior to the shutdown, then those issues are exacerbated as a result of the shutdown. That is not, that is not magical for us to, to arrive at that conclusion. That is really very simple. So I want to say to everybody who is listening, because we all have our inherent biases. We all have our biases that we are not even aware that we have. And we just make assumptions based on the fact that one group of people are getting the virus more than others. Remember, the president, in fact, referred to it as the Chinese virus because it seemed like only China had it. Then we said, well, if it's China, it's way over there. It's not going to happen. Then Italy had it. Then it came to France. Then it went to Spain. Then the UK. And then guess what? It arrived in Washington state. So it would happen to Detroit because Detroit is what? Detroit is a major city. Let me help you to understand why the virus arrived in Detroit. Something nobody wants to talk about. Detroit does a lot of business through the three automakers with guess who? China. Detroiters go who work for General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler visit China very frequently. Therefore, it's not a hard pull to see why the virus arrived in Detroit before it got to Chicago, before it got to, to Miami, because we do a lot of business with China. General Motors sells more cars in China than it sells here in, the, in, in North America. Let's put that into perspective. So naturally, Wuhan, China has a direct link. In fact, just recently, they were setting up an electric car factory here in Detroit. And the reason they were doing that, it has direct connections to Silicon Valley and, of course, to China. Because there's a huge market, a huge motor vehicle market in China. Right, And we won't get into the history of it because American companies started investing in China and now all of a sudden China now has an active middle class that is growing. Right, So it is no stranger then. It's not strange to see how the virus would have arrived in, 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 in Detroit. It would have. When it came to Detroit, as Reverend Sheffield pointed out, a lot of African Americans do not have access to a primary care physician. They might go down to the clinic. They might use the emergency room as their primary care physician. They don't have primary care physicians. Now, uh, uh, Cliff Wooders, who was on yesterday, said that Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Medicaid of Michigan has over 28,000 uh, participants in, in, the state, in, 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 in the state, but are they accessible? When you talk about healthcare, you have to think of terms of access. You, you have to think, are, is it readily available? So people, if they're not really sick, they're not going to go to the doctor. They don't go to the doctor when they feel bad, much less, so they're not going to go, 
right? Secondly, there are a lot of people walking around with, without symptoms. Reverend Chevier said he didn't have a fever. He didn't know he had it because he didn't have a fever. He just didn't feel well. So he went and got tested, went to his primary care, got tested, and boom, shalala, there he is. We just thank God that he's still here because he's a champion in this area, he and his daughter, and we need their voices to continue to advocate for change on behalf of the people in the city. And so when you look at that, this is why the city was ravaged. Now, I know you're hearing a lot about racial disparities, but let's look at the social determinants of health. The social determinants of health are based on some factors. Access to healthcare, access to fresh food. Do you live in an area that is heavily polluted? When you combine all those factors together, you got to say, well, if for over 100 years we were making cars in Detroit, then my goodness, the air must be repolluted, wouldn't you say? I dare say all of South Michigan is probably heavily polluted. So naturally, people tend to have more more respiratory illnesses. Asthma and bronchitis are very common because the air is so heavily polluted. And if you've lived here all your life, then chances are you're most likely to be exposed to it, right? And so these are the social determinants of health, which were high-risk factors already. And here comes the coronavirus that was probably introduced by someone who came from China to come here. And let me put it into perspective. We have a really uh, large community of Asians in, in Southeast Michigan. I, I spoke to someone some time ago, and there are over 10,000 Koreans who live in Southeast Michigan. I did not know the number was that high. Over 10,000. There, there are Chinese Americans who live here who have probably gone dark now because of backlash, of, you know, backlash as a result of the coronavirus and so on. So we have a heavy, a really large percentage of our population, a significant percentage, who are Asian. So it's a natural that we would have had the virus here. Plus, there was the Chinese New Year in January. A lot of people probably went home to celebrate that with their family who still live in China and then came back here unknowingly and unwittingly transmitting a virus. They probably went to the doctor, probably took care of it themselves. And then lo and behold, here we are. But as Reverend Sheffield says, the national leadership is kind of saying, well, if it is just happening in Southeast Michigan amongst African-Americans, you all figure that out. We're going to try to contain it so it doesn't bother. So white, white people in Michigan who are in northern Michigan and western Michigan are saying, well, it's just happening to them folks down in Detroit. Why don't you open up the rest of the states so the rest of us can uh, go back to work? The fact is it doesn't work like that. It affected the most vulnerable first, and it, that doesn't mean it's not going to get to everybody else. It's going to get to you. It's going to get to everybody else eventually. It just affected the most vulnerable first. And the most vulnerable were affected and impacted largely due to the social determinants of health, which I aforementioned. Do you see where I'm coming from? So now that we have that kind of background, and now that everything is shut down, the governor has called for everything to shut down. I love our governor. I think she has done a marvelous job leading through this. She has the best interests of Michiganders at heart. It doesn't matter. She doesn't care whether you're Republican or nothing. What she cares about is that you live in Michigan. I'm here for you. We're all in this together. That's her mantra. I respect that, and I appreciate that, because she has done a tremendous job in leading from the beginning and saying we've got to flatten the curve. So I appreciate social distancing. I think we need to continue social distancing. 
from everything that I have read, all the science, and the science is pointing to that social distancing is one of the best ways to curb this virus. So even though it's affected the most vulnerable here, that doesn't mean that our friends in Northern Michigan and Western Michigan are not going to be impacted. They're going to get it. It's just going to get to them later than quicker. It's just going to be just as lethal when it gets there. It's going to be just as impacting. Because whilst they're not subject to a higher, a high rates of diabetes and high blood pressure underlying conditions, they are still human and their bodies are still going to be ravaged by the virus. If they have underlying conditions like respiratory illnesses, it's going to go. It's going to affect them. So we're all in this together. And that has to be, that should be, I should say, the national messaging. That we're all in this together and as a country, as a nation, as a state, we're all in this together. We're all working together to get rid of this virus so it doesn't hurt our people, all of us. As far as I'm concerned, there is no color. We're all here together. We're all breathing the same air that apparently is infected with coronavirus. And based on what the scientists are saying, it's likely, it's more likely that it will still be here until the spring of 2021. Now, that is something for all of us to consider. So while we're at home and staying home and stay safe, we see now that if we all, because we have all stayed home and stayed safe, we don't have it. You're, you're still joining me on this broadcast. So that means it's worked, right? The social distancing work. It's been almost a month that we've been home. I went out yesterday after I haven't gone out since in about six days. And I went out yesterday and the world looked very different. Even the sky is different. I can actually see the sun. I can actually see the sky. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that there was a haze over it most of the time. I can see the sky. It's so blue. It's startling. You can feel the rays of the sun. Here in Southeast Michigan yesterday, it was snowing. It was welcome. I'm like, it just cleansed the air. It felt so good just to be out. I miss being out and driving and, you know, getting around and doing all the things that we all do. But social distancing works. Thank God that I have not had any symptoms or I have not had the virus. Thank God for that. I want to keep healthy. And one of the ways that I'm going to do it is to stay home. We're losing too many people. Just yesterday, late last night, I discovered that Representative Sherry Gay Denogo who is one of the warriors of justice here in Southeast Michigan, uh, lost her sister. Her sister had been on a ventilator for two weeks. When I tell you that I know Sherry, uh, I, I know Representative Gay Donogo. I know her mother. And when I tell you that, that it, it's kind of like it was like wrapped around me. These are folks you know and touch and you have embraced and you have communed together. It was something else to discover that. Do you see what I mean? It's almost like every day your Facebook page is filled with RIPs. It is something that has come to our door and it is not time for Americans to stand apart and say, well, that's your problem or that is in your community. It's coming to all of us. All of, us. All of you are going to get it. It just affected the most vulnerable first. The governor is the governor of the state. She's looking at all of the people in the state and she's looking at if we contain it, it will slow it down so all of us won't get it. Leave her be. Let her do her job. Let her do it as she sees fit. She's doing an excellent job. 
Yes, you might not like her politics. You might not like the party she's affiliated with. You might not even like her as a person. But in terms of getting the job done, of keeping Michigan safe, she's doing an excellent job, regardless of your party affiliation. So let her do what she's doing. She's looking out for all of Michigan. She's not just looking out for people in Southeast Michigan. She's not looking out just for people in Upper Michigan or Western Michigan. And if you really look at it, you could say, well, she wouldn't care about the people in Southeast Michigan, especially in Detroit, because they don't look like her. But that is the opposite. She cares about everyone. And it is demonstrated in what she has done in advocacy for Michigan. Let her be. Let her do her job. She's doing an excellent job of guiding the state through this crisis. You got to understand something, folks. None of us have been here before. This is the threat of our lifetime. We've never been down this road, so there are no manuals to guide us. Yes, people have referenced the 1918, the 1918 flu pandemic, but in 1918, our population was different. Our demographics were different. We didn't have technology. We didn't have transportation. We didn't have pollution. Our environmental factors were different. So the ways, the tools they had available to fight it in 1918 are very different from what we have today. We learned something from 1918 because out of that came a united world, the United Nations after World War II, the World Health Organization, UNICEF, and so on. So we learned that what happened in Europe came to America in 1918 because immigrants, people who came over and who were traveling back and forth, brought it. And if we really look at what happened in 1918, the flu pandemic lasted for two years. It took two years for it to eventually be eliminated. Out of that came mass vaccines and so on. This is the same thing we're looking at right now. You know what that tells us? It tells us that as a human being, our bodies are vulnerable to viruses. We have to do a better job of maintaining not just social distancing, but maintaining disinfecting measures, washing our hands more properly. What I've practiced in what we've been talking about for years, advanced hygiene, washing our hands, making sure you wash your hands after you use the bathroom, wash your hands after you touch surfaces. When you come home, there's got to be an area in your house where you go take your clothes off, leave them in the washing machine, and don't wear the shoes that you've worn outside into your house. Ladies and gentlemen, there are some things that all of us are going to be required to do individually to contain the spread of bacteria. Now we recognize how very vulnerable we are because now our bodies can contain a virus and we're exposing the people who are most vulnerable. The next group of people who are being attacked and who are being hurt from this virus are healthcare workers. Those whose job it is to keep us safe, those whose job, whose job it is to provide us with medicine, those are the folks who are getting ill as a result of the virus. They, too, are dropping like flags. People are just literally dropping. Like Detroiters are dropping. People in healthcare are literally just dropping from sheer exhaustion from the fact that they have attended to so many people who have had the virus. And as Reverend Sheffield said, I just want to make sure we get this riveted clearly in our minds. We've got to have mass testing. Now, tomorrow on our show, we're going to have uh, our retired judge, Honorable McCree, come back. He brought something to my attention last night about how long it would take for all of us to be tested, to return to work. But the fact is, they knew this was happening from November, and nobody did anything about protecting the people. And as usual, when things happen, it protects what? It protects the most vulnerable. So you, some of you who are watching, thank God you're safe. 
you're staying home, please stay safe. I wish Reverend Sheffield, he says he's practicing social distancing, he's in his office and so on. I pray that that is true for all of us, not just him, but for all of us, for the governor, for the chief medical officer of health, for the people on the front lines who can't help but are in the fight of their lives. They are fighting for their lives too. They know that they're being exposed to save somebody else. And they know that they have to go home and practice social distancing with their families so that they don't transmit the virus to their families. My friends, all those folks who gathered in, in, in Lansing, Michigan yesterday, I know you want to enjoy your civil liberties, but you kind of exposed yourselves to the virus because you were out bustling and jostling and touching people in a mass setting, where especially where they said, do not gather. So I hope everybody is listening. Nobody got ticketed yesterday, so I hope they don't. T- in the same way, it didn't work for them. It, it, it's got to be that when Detroiters gather, you can't you can't say anything to them because they violated the no gathering measures and they were not ticketed. I wonder what's that all about. You can't appease one group of people and not appease the other. We are all in this space together. Years ago, I did a show on this and I didn't talk about a virus. I used to say, "What if?" something were to happen to the planet and we had to rely on each other, what would we do? Well, nine years later, here we are. I asked this question rhetorically. It was in the year 2010, the year of the earthquake in Haiti. I asked this question to my then radio audience. What if something were to happen to the planet and we were vulnerable and all of us would have been exposed? What would we do? Would we care about each other? Here we are, and we are finding that survival of the fittest has kicked in. It's me and my two. It's me and my four. It's me and my six. It's me and my group. And it doesn't affect me. It affects those people. Keep them. Contain them. Make sure they can't travel out so they don't transmit it to us. This is an that has no borders nor boundaries. If this virus started in China, you got to ask yourself, it got here. It got to Europe because somebody brought it, so it's transmitted airborne. So if it happened then, it is only a matter of time before it spreads everywhere else. This is exposing the good, the bad, and the ugly in all of us. Yes, there are good things that have come out. Reverend Sheffield is one of them. He went and got 10,000 frozen meals to distribute to people in need. But what about what about people? Yeah? What about people who have nothing? The president is delaying the distribution <clears throat> of stimulus checks by insisting that his name be added to the check, something that is unprecedented. Presidents of the United States do not sign checks for oversight reasons, obviously. So it doesn't want to appear to be partisan. But this president wants his name. He thinks his name and his vanity is so important that he wants his name on checks. Meanwhile, people are suffering. The people who need the money the most, the people who don't have a bank account who need to get that check in their hands to take it and get it cash so they can pay their bills so they can live. The president is holding it up so his name can be on it. My God in heaven, are we human? People who are looking out for people. Are we so caught up in partisan politics that we have forgotten the most basic element is our humanity? Have we forgotten to be human? I know some of you are listening, and you've got to ask yourself this question. 
how can we be so vain? How can we be so singular of mind that we don't think of the next person? It's only a matter of time before this virus travels to Upper Michigan into Traverse City. It's only a matter of time before it gets to Western Michigan. There's nothing you can do about it. There is not a vaccine to vaccinate against it. Hydrochloroquine is not going to help you because it produces heart, heart attacks. It's only a matter of time before the people who took it are going to report heart attacks. In France, France has stopped it because France says it has produced heart effects that are negative and have sent people right back into COVID-19. There is no virus. There's no vaccination for it. All we have are each other. And how we stop it? By caring for one another, by not disparaging against one another. Yes, I know you have your party affiliations and you feel strongly about being red state and being blue state and all kind of state and purple state. But have you thought about being human first? Have you thought about the basic humanity first? Have you forgotten what America is? Have you forgotten what being American meant? Being American means you care for someone else. You care for the next person. It means that you consider their feelings. That's what being American is all about. You want to sing from sea to shining sea? Then if you want to sing from sea to shining sea and from upper Michigan to the lower peninsula, we got to care about everybody in Michigan. We got to care about everybody who lives in Michigan, whether you are black, white, red, Asian, Native American, or Hispanic. We got to care about everybody who lives within this peninsula from east to west. It takes me four hours from Detroit to western Michigan if I'm going to Indiana. It takes me another 60 minutes to get to Port Huron, Michigan. To get to northern Michigan is another four hours. As I travel these highways and byways, I think about the people who live within these borders. We got to do a better job of caring for one another. It is irresponsible together, whether you are black or white. It is irresponsible in the midst of a pandemic together. It is grossly irresponsible to you, for yourself, for your family members, and for the rest of us. This virus literally jumps from one person to the other, and then it gets into your, into your lungs. You can't breathe. Is that what we want? In the midst of an election year, all we're thinking about is winning an election? We have lost sight of being human. This virus happened, whether it's China's fault, who knows? We don't know for sure. If China didn't create this virus because they were angry about the trade tariffs, we don't know if they didn't create it because they wanted to hurt someone. All we know is that here we are coping with this. We are the United States. We have the resources if we had been mobilized from the beginning to mitigate. I'm not saying the virus wasn't going to come because we have a flu uh, influenza epidemic every year and we have created a vaccine that is successful against it if you are inoculated enough but had we seen this and we had mobilized we could have mitigated the efforts more test kits would have been made readily available ventilators from the department of defense supply could have been distributed masks n95 masks and other masks could have been distributed gloves could have been distributed Right now, hospitals are facing shortages that we have never before seen is not American, and that should not have happened. My brothers and sisters in northern and western Michigan, hear me out. We're all in this together. We don't have anybody else. We can't run to Ohio, and we can't take it to Indiana or Illinois. 
We can't go over to Canada as much as we all like going over there. I mean, we can't even go over there now anyway, and we all like to go over to Canada every now and then, right? This is the way of life for us here in Michigan. We are a national state, but we are also connected internationally to our neighbor, Canada. We're all in this together. This is not about being Republican or being Democrat. This is not about whether we like the governor or we don't. This is about do we like each other? Can we honestly sit back and say we're Christians, whether you are red state, blue state, purple state, or no state? Can we honestly sit back and say that we don't like each other? Can we honestly sit back and say as Christians, we have love and fellowship with our, with our fellow man? Can we honestly say that we claim that we're Christians? We, we are devout Christians and followers of Christ. But do we really believe in the love of God that is shed abroad for all of us? We got to appreciate this. The Bible says we should respect our leaders. You want us to respect our national leaders. Well, we got to respect our state leaders as well. We got to respect the fact that she was elected by the people as much as the people elected the president. People in Detroit voted for President Trump. He won Michigan because 10,000 Detroiters went and voted for him. In 2016, they were saying, you're the man we want to lead the country. You're the man we believe in and we trust. President Trump, where are you, sir? Are you going to come and talk to us here in Michigan? Are you going to tell us that you care about us? Are you going to come to Detroit and tell Detroiters that you care about what happens? No, I don't want to see President, uh, Vice President Pence. I want to see President Trump. I want him to give a message to Detroiters to say, look, y'all, I care about you all. I'm sorry about this, but we're going to get through this together. Look at the governor. Respect her. This is not what she signed up for. She just wanted to be governor. Look what she got. She didn't create this. This is not her fault. But does she say that? She says, Michigan, we're all in this together, and I promise you we're going to get through this. Then she went on the war page. She started looking for help every which way she could. She surrounds herself with science to make sure that we all are taken care of. My friends, I love this state. I love this country. This is my country. I love the state and I love this country, but I love Michigan. I love Detroit. I love Traverse City. I love Lansing. I love my Michigan. I love driving on 96 headed west. I love going up to Big Rapids. I love Grand Rapids. I love Flint up on I-75. I love Saginaw. I love Detroit. I love Southwest Detroit. I love looking at the bridge that takes us over to Canada. I love going downtown and seeing the water and seeing the tunnel that takes us to a whole other country. I love the people of Michigan. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you sport a Confederate flag. I'm still going to love you with the love of God. I see you in the street and you got a, fe- a Confederate flag. I'm going to say, hey, dude, what's up? I see you. I'm going to say, hey, how is it going? Because I love people. Because the love of God is in my heart, not just for people who look like me, and sound like me, but for everybody. So I'm asking all of us, I'm asking all of Detroit, all of Michigan, all of these United States, we're all in this together. Let's get through this, put down the party, put down the red, put down the blue. We have November to figure that out. Let's just get through these next three months. Let's just see if we can get through these next three months. I'm begging you. Let's just stay home for another month. Please, I'm begging you. 
flatten the curve. Forget about the money. Jeff Bezos makes money just by sleeping. His eyelids are worth over $30 billion, each eyelid, each eyelash on his eye. I'm begging you all, let us do this for us. We have children and grandchildren. We owe it to our parents and grandparents and the people who went before us who fought the good fight for us to live in this nation of freedom. This is my country from sea to shining sea, from all the mountains down to the south. I love everybody who lives here. I love President Trump. I love President Obama. I love Joe Biden. I love everybody. And I love our governor. She's my chick. She is my chick. She is doing the job. And we got to just sit back. Even if you don't like her, you don't have to. Just sit back and say, okay, Gov, we're with you. We got to stop this for all of us. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about all of us. I am Harriet Kimmick. I'm asking us all, stay home and stay safe. This has been Down to Earth. Be blessed, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.